you know, sometimes I, I, uh, I think on Sunday morning, I want to, I want to come, I want it to be like just real peppy and all right, everybody, let's, you know, you know, be stirred up, you know, and everything. But, um, and I, I, you know, I want to live that way all the time. I want to, I want to, that's kind of like my personality, but, um, sometimes, you know, you just, I don't know. I've heard it said like the, a church is more like a hospital and, um, or, or it, it should be more like a hospital. And, um, and I know that we have many things to rejoice in, and in, in the Lord for, and, uh, and we do. Um, but, uh, I appreciate one thing I appreciate about this body of Christ is I feel like I can come here and, and just be real. And, you know, if I don't feel peppy, then I don't feel peppy and I can, um, express that. And, um, I don't have to put on a, I don't have to put on a, a front and, and try to act like everything is, is going well. And, um, but I can express, you know, what's really going on and just, um, ask for prayer, ask, lean on my brothers and sisters to, to help carry me through. So I appreciate that about this body of Christ. And, um, you know, we do have times of rejoicing and, and laughing and together we have times of crying together. And, um, but what I hope out of this morning's message is that you'd, you'd come away with, with some hope. And, um, I'm hoping that this morning you also can put yourself into Noah's shoes a little bit, because as I was just really, um, thinking a lot about him this week, um, he had a life and lived in a time that um, I don't think that any of us could understand how difficult it would have been to live in that time. I mean, uh, no matter how difficult we may think we have it, none of us lived um, in a time that was Noah's time. Um, but I will start off with something a little bit more lighthearted. Um, uh, you're probably thinking, you know, you've heard different phrases before, and you're thinking, like, I wonder where I, I learned those phrases, but perhaps they're from the story of Noah and the Ark, you know, like, don't miss the boat. Um, maybe that one came from Noah's and the Ark, or, hey, when you tell your kids, for safety's sake, travel in pairs, that might have come from Noah's and the Ark. Remember to build on high ground. Um, plan ahead because it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Um, well, as we've been going through our series, Lineage of Hope, we've been looking at how uh, select Bible figures that are in Jesus's lineage um, point forward to Jesus, and we're asking the question, how does this person foreshadow Christ by analogy and or contrast? Um, this morning, I will try to answer these questions with respect to Noah. In what way does Noah anticipate the person and work of Jesus? In what way does Jesus surpass Noah? And in what way does Jesus succeed where Noah fell short? So this morning, I think you'll see that God has given us a wonderful optic uh, lesson of Jesus in the story of Noah and the ark. But even though we will see parallels and characteristics between this story and Jesus, 
I hope that what you get from today's message isn't just um, some of the cool symbolisms between the two, but also some fresh encouragement to have the faith of Noah, to be more like Jesus, and to see how God intends to use you in his story. First off, Noah points us to Jesus by his standing alone in obedience to God in his day. I don't know if you remember um, when we went through Hebrews 11, um, but that's why I wanted to share Hebrews 11:7 as our scripture for the day, and I'm going to read it again. But Noah is mentioned there in what we typically call the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. <clears throat> and I'll read it again. It says this, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You've got to just stop and think about this verse for a minute and and think of how remarkable Noah's faith and obedience is here. Um, I think sometimes, you know, you you read uh, Bible passages and um, they just come and go real quickly and you don't really stop and think about what's really going on. At least I I do, uh, unless you really meditate on it for a while. But here you think about it, it says, by faith Noah being warned by God about things not seen. Um, he had nothing to go on but what God said. Was Noah going to believe the word of God? Was he going to be committed to what God said was true? Because God was going to tell him things that had never been seen before. And uh, um, that would be difficult. Um, Put yourself in Noah's shoes. God is telling him that something is going to happen that no one on the earth has ever experienced. That is a cataclysmic world judgment, rain, which no one had seen before, and flooding by water. No one had ever even seen a flood because they'd never seen rain. Now here's the account of Noah's encounter with God from Genesis 6. I'll read it. You can listen or you can turn to Genesis 6 and, and follow along with me. Genesis 6, starting in verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, 
And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah obeyed God's word even when what he was being asked to do was beyond comprehension. You know, sometimes we, you know, we might feel like God asked us to do something and, and we might feel like, no, I can't, not right now. You know, I, um, that's going to put me out a little bit or no, that's a little bit too, too difficult right now. Mostly it's an inconvenience, uh, I, I find. And, uh, or you feel like God is prompting you to do something or to give something or to go help someone and um, like I said, a lot of times when you don't follow through on those promptings, it's, for at least in my experience, most of the time it's a matter of inconvenience. And yet here, um, God is asking Noah to do something that is beyond comprehension. I mean, if you were Noah, you, you, if you were in his shoes, you would just think, one, you'd think, how, how can this possibly be done, would be, would be the first thought. Um, and, um, and yet Noah says, obeyed all that God commanded him, uh, including this. We need to try to understand that obeying God in Noah's time was a completely different thing than obeying God in our time. Because Noah lived in a time of spectacular sinning. We have the church to help encourage us to stay the course. Noah did not have the church in his day. Noah lived in a culture of chaos, and yet it says Noah walked with God. Imagine the ridicule and scorn he already received for not cho choosing to join in with that culture of chaos around him. And then now God was asking him to do something that would cause him to stand out about as loud as you could stand out 
in the midst of this corrupt culture by building a structure that, let's face it, would be the biggest landmark in the entire region. I mean, this I doubt that they had any buildings or structures or anything that would be as big as this boat that he would be building. The word used in the Genesis passage for corrupt means rotten or putrid or utterly foul, and it describes a world in the final stages of moral decomposition. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, people kind of, it's hard for them to understand why God would, would bring this judgment on, on a world like this. And um, um, sometimes I used to think even, uh, you know, when you read passages and, and God says, go in and, and, and my judgment will be like on the Amalekites or something, I'm going to wipe all them out. Um, and, and you'd think, well, I don't understand, like, why you would do that, God? But um, it was a few um, years ago um, uh, when that one group in the Middle East, I can't remember, was going, and um, they were just um, oh, raping and pillaging um, that one group of people, The started with a Y, up in northern Iraq. And, and the things they were doing were so atrocious you just thought, I, I don't know how there can be much evil be, beyond this. And, and so it, it, it kind of gave you a thought of like, okay, I understand maybe how God could say there is no good in this situation. Um, just the other day, um, well, you know, if you just think of the worst atrocities that you can think of uh, in our era, typically one's mind might think of the atrocities of the Nazis against the Jews. Um, I just happened upon an article uh, yesterday about some of the atrocities that um, done by Hamas on October 7th when they attacked Israel, and they went into that uh, music festival. There were a bunch of young people, and um, and just read about some of the eyewitness accounts of survivors that said what was going on there. And it was, I mean, you could not make a movie of it. It would be, it would be triple X-rated movie. The violence was so, so, so bad. The atrocities were beyond what you could imagine a human being could even think to do to another human being. And, um, um, so moral decomposition can become that bad. Um, and yet to some degree, if we are honest with ourselves, we all think things that we could never dare to speak aloud. Uh, because the human heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick, as the prophet Jeremiah affirms. But the issue in Noah's day is that the unthinkable became thinkable and then speakable and then doable. And finally, those unthinkable things and those unspeakable things were done openly and celebrated. And that is why God's judgment came on them. In an impure world, Noah was pure. In that unrighteous world, Noah was righteous. And in a world that dismissed God, Noah walked with God. And the last thing I want to say about Noah is that he was bold. Um, 
It's interesting, in, in the passage that was, uh, well, in the song, uh, Christ, uh, um, uh, a better Moses, in the line about Moses, it talks about Moses' um, boldness. Um, but we need to not overlook Noah's boldness in his time, which, again, is, is astounding. He didn't have a support system uh, like... Um, well, Moses didn't have too much of a support system either, but he had his people. Uh, Noah had his wife and his son and, and his son's wives. That was it for a support system. But Proverbs 28.1 says this, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I think this verse would typify Noah's life, because in 2 Peter 2.5 it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Do we warn our generation of coming judgment and the salvation that God has provided like Noah did his? I dare say we don't live in nearly as hostile an environment as Noah did, and yet we are not as bold as Noah was. Keep in mind, however, long Noah preached righteousness, he got no responses. He saw no converts, save for his family members. And he did it for many more years than we ever will, as he lived hundreds of years. But I'm sure Noah praised the Lord that when he entered the ark, his wife, his sons, and his son's wives went with him. Those closest to him responded. And at a minimum, are we godly examples to those closest to us in the very ungodly world around us? So how did Noah do this, and how can we be like Noah? The answer is not a new answer, but one that you have heard many times, um, and it's from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He did it by grace. He did it through faith. He did it unto good works. Genesis 6, 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The King James, that word is the word grace. It's the first time you see that word used um, in the Bible. So Noah needed and had God's grace on his life, in his life. And we need God's grace in our lives. Then we see that Noah's faith was demonstrated by actions. You know, we know this faith without works is dead. In this story, those actions included building the ark and warning those around him of coming judgment. And it was unto good works, that is, saving his family, and in the greater sense, the human race, which included the lineage of Jesus. So maybe we should stop complaining about the evil of the present day. We have far more spiritual advantages than Noah did all we need is the grace of God combined with faith in his word, and he will give us the courage to live like Noah lived. Let us be men of character. Let us be women of conviction. Let us be people who stand on the word of God and not be worrying about what the world thinks of us. Never underestimate what God can do with just one faithful man or woman in his hands, let alone a church full of them. Um, 
We even have, you know, the, the Word of God in, in, in written form, and we probably have multiple copies in our homes. Noah did not have that as well. Another spiritual advantage that we have. <laughs> Remember these verses, 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, so that He may support those whose heart is completely His. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Ezekiel 22.30, the Lord spoke to the prophet Ezekiel saying this, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Will you be that one? Will I be that one? Will we be that one? We are all here, and if, if you're saved this morning, God saved you to be part of his story in this lifetime. And you can be that one. You can be that one who's, um, who God will fully support if your heart is completely his. And... Um, and that's my um, hope this morning is that, is that you all will uh, catch that, that, that I will catch that, that like it's, if, if, if God could use Noah and, and you think of the difficulties that Noah had compared to the spiritual advantages that we have, can we not be that one? Can we not be that one that God uses um, in his story. So in what ways does Jesus surpass Noah? In what ways does Jesus succeed where Noah fell short? Well, Jesus was certainly that one, like Noah, but in such a greater way. Like Noah, Jesus stood alone in obedience to God, warning of coming judgment. But whereas Noah's obedience to God in building the ark was according to Hebrews eleven seven a condemning of the world, Jesus' obedience was the way for many to be made righteous. In fact, in um, John 3.17, it says that God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that, rather that the world would be saved through him. Um, Romans 5.19 says, For as through the one man's disobedience, referring to Adam, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, referring to Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Whereas Noah provided a temporary means of salvation through the ark, which was made of wood, Jesus provided an eternal forever salvation through his shed blood on the cross, also made of wood. Jesus had not only earthly beings standing against him, as did Noah, Jesus also had to endure the spiritual battles of darkness from the devil himself and overcame them victoriously in order to be the one who would crush Satan's head for all of time. Well, now that we've talked about how Noah's life points us to Jesus, I want to take some time to talk about how the ark itself points us to Jesus. Um, an interesting fact I learned this week that again points to the wisdom of God and the reality of the truth of God's word um, is that God had Noah build the ark in such a way 
um, that the stability of the vessel would float. And um, he gave him dimensions that um, were ratios that shipbuilders have used throughout the ages. So it wasn't like God told him to build a ship that could not float. If you built, if you built this, um, this, um, well, really the word, the word ark there used is really the it's it's a word used in the Old Testament for box or container. It you've probably seen <clears throat> lots of pictures in children's books about Noah's ark, and it looks like a boat, okay, but with you know nice rounded size and a rudder and all this. It's not like that. It was literally just meant to be like a floating barge, if you will, almost like a rectangle, just a box. It wasn't, it wasn't meant to go on a cruise. It was just meant to be a floating vessel. And so, um, uh, but the dimensions that God gave Noah to build this to were completely in line with the ratios of length and width that shipbuilders use. They, they were not out out of, of, of order there. And um, so God had him build the ark 450 feet long by 45 feet high by 75 feet wide. It had three floors and had over one and a half million cubic feet of storage space, which is roughly the capacity of 569 um, containers, like the ones you see uh, a railroad car um, carrying. <clears throat> or some people use to build houses now. So, uh, but God told Noah to seal both the inside and the outside of the ark with pitch. And that Hebrew word uh, there for pitch, for this resinous substance, comes from the same root word translated elsewhere as atonement or covering. And just as the pitch sealed and covered the spaces between the planks of the gopher wood, which the ark was made out of, the blood of Jesus covers our sins so that we cannot rise up, so that, so that sin cannot rise up and accuse us and condemn us any longer. The pitch was strong enough to keep out the judgment of the floodwaters, but Jesus' blood is able to keep us from the judgment and wrath of God for eternity. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, let me read that and I'll emphasize different words here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The key word, of course, in that verse is in Christ Jesus. God provided the ark to save Noah and his family from the coming judgment and they were saved from that judgment by being in the ark. But God provided Jesus as the ark of safety for us, and we are saved from the judgment of God by being in Christ Jesus. There really is no better picture of salvation than the ark. Just as God provided a divinely approved means of escape in the ark for Noah and his family, so in Jesus God provides a divinely approved means of escape in the gospel. Just as God protected and saved those who put their faith in him and used his refuge, so God protects and saves all who put their trust in Jesus Christ as a refuge from God's righteous wrath. 
So in Noah's day, there was only one ark provided, and it had only one door. God never said, hey, Noah, make four or five arks and let the people choose which, which one they want to get in, you know, if they repent. And he didn't, nor did he create one ark with multiple doors and say, you know, you guys can choose door number one, door number two, or door number three. Only one ark and only one door. Well, as you know, Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door, only one door. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And then Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The ark was a refuge from the storm. The name Noah in Hebrew means rest. When Noah and his family got on the ark and God shut the door, I'm sure there was a sense of relief. There was the work of building the ark, and it doesn't tell us how many years it took them. Um, Again, I can't imagine. It doesn't say whether he employed people to help him or whether it was just he and his sons. Um, doesn't tell us that, but it's, again, it was a lot of work. Just put it that way, okay? So there was obviously some sense of relief when he got on the ark and God shut the door. The work from building the ark, the work of preparing everything and assimilating the animals was completed. They were now disconnected from the ridicule and scorn of the people among whom they lived there was rest, but it was a temporary rest. At some point, they would have to get off the ark and plant a garden. And in that garden, there would be weeds, and they would have to weed the garden, and there would be work again. And um, people that got off the ark still had a sin nature, and their descendants would have a sin nature. And that sin nature would interfere with that temporary rest. So the rest was only temporary. But Jesus is our refuge from the storm, and he offers an eternal rest, a redemptive rest. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you are in Jesus, then you know what the rest of Jesus is like. Hopefully you all have experienced that rest before or are experiencing that rest now. No longer do you have to be nagged in your conscience with, am I good enough? Um, Am I doing enough good works? Or um, are my good works outweighing my bad? The rest of Jesus is a peace. As Jesus said, my peace I give to you, but not as the world gives. Noah and his family did have a temporary rest and peace But in Jesus, you and I can experience the peace of Jesus every day. We don't always experience his peace, though, because some days we we walk in fear. We're fearful. We're not faith-filled. Some days we walk in the flesh. We're not spirit-filled. We're anxious, um, and we're not doing what Philippians tells us to do to... um, uh, 
in prayer and supplication, give all our anxieties to Him so that the peace of God beyond all understanding will fill our hearts and minds. Um, but the peace of Jesus is available to each of you who are in Christ Jesus 24-7. And His peace and rest is a perfect peace and rest, even in the midst of the storms of life around us. Now someday we will have complete peace um, with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Um, but we can still have that peace now. Um, as I just explained, and Jesus wants to give it to us, and it's available to us. So praise the Lord for that. The last thing I want us to see is that God's covenant with Noah was a precursor to God's covenant he makes with us through Jesus. So um, I'm going to read from Genesis 9, um, verses 9 through 17. So let's look at the covenant God made with Noah in Genesis 9, starting in verse 9. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my, my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The bow is, um, is more than just that curve of light um, that we see through the rain that we call the rainbow. Um, that's a picture also um, of a warrior's bow. You think of a bow, of a bow and arrow. Um, I'm going to read from Psalm 7, verse 11 through 13, which describes that. It says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. In my understanding, by setting his bow in the cloud, God is saying that even though humans will continue to be sinful, he will not destroy all of humanity again like he did with the flood. His bow is hung in the sky, not strung tight with arrows at the ready, but hung up for good. And it's not because Noah and his descendants will no longer sin, because we will. And it's not because God will now overlook our sin, but it's rather that God chose to aim his arrows of judgment toward his innocent son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on the sins of all the guilty sinners on the cross including each one of us in this room. And this is the new covenant in Jesus' blood 
um, the promise that God will forgive sin and restore communion with those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of that new covenant. So really the covenant that God made with Noah was just a precursor to this new covenant. Noah and his family could not remain sheltered on the ark forever. There came a time where God spoke to Noah and said, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your son's wives with you. If you are in Jesus Christ this morning, then praise the Lord today that in his grace, he provided an ark of salvation for you and invited you to come aboard. But what is our responsibility as those who are in that boat? It is to go and tell others that there is room on board. The door is open. There's not, the door is not shut today. So we need to go and tell others that God has provided a way of escape from the coming judgment and that that way is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may we pray this week for divinely appointed opportunities to be like Noah and to be like Jesus and to tell others the good news of the gospel. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, your word. Thank you for um, your word that you say your word is truth. Thank you for this true story of Noah. God, thank you for your grace in Noah's life, God. Thank you that um, even in that time of wickedness, you preserved a family. You preserved a man. It was by your grace, God, that um, there was a faithful one with a family, Lord, that served you. Lord, I know that um, we as believers are, are in the minority. I know that we don't have it as bad as Noah did in his day. But God, may you just work in us, Lord, to be heralds for you, um, to be ambassadors for you, as, as, as you say in 2 Corinthians 5. Lord, um, to be your ambassadors. Um, may we do that uh, as Noah was an ambassador for you in, in his day and time. Lord, help us to just, um, that that would be our calling. It, it is our calling. Lord, I, I think of verses that talk about um, Paul was called to this and and these things, and sometimes I don't know if other people think like me and like, well, what am I called to? Well, God, there's plenty of verses that talk about things that we're called to, and that's one of them, that we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. So I pray, God, that you'd help us give us strength to be ambassadors this week, Lord, for you. In Jesus' name, amen.